Well, welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. I'm very happy to be with you again today. Thank you for tuning in. It's an honor and a privilege to open the Word of God together. If you have that uh, possibility, if you are not driving, if you have access to the Bible, it will be really good, actually, to look into one of the books which we are going to talk about, the book of Jonah, because today we are going to talk about the restless prophet. But I would like to welcome the members of our panel today. And thank you, Brenton, for joining us. It's really good to have you after a bit of a hiccup um, today. Thank you, Nick. It's a pleasure to be on the panel and to be sharing the story of Jonah, a very interesting story. Ken, good to have you with us also. Thank you, Nick. Wonderful to be here this beautiful day. Will, welcome to Bible study. I always find it a a privilege and a pleasure. And Lija, good to have you with us. I'm very delighted. Len, also thank you for joining. Thank you for your welcome and hello, listeners. And Joe. Good to have you with us today. It's always good to be here. It's a pleasure. Uh, Joe, you are uh, the one who will lead us today, facilitate this uh, Bible discussion. And thank you for uh, putting all the hard work into it. Over to you. Okay. Thank you, Nick. This week's discussion is called, is about the restless prophet, as Nick has so kindly said. And perhaps we could open with a prayer. Len, would you mind leading out? Sure. Father in heaven. It's a privilege to have your word and to read it, and it's with a feeling of great responsibility that we as a panel open your word today for the general public to hear. We pray that um, what we say will have your approval and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We pray that this study might be of benefit to those who are listening, and we pray that you will bless them and lead them in their lives In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. 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 Thank you, Len. Um, I'd like to start off by just giving us a little bit of a background on the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah, as we know, is uh, or may not know, is one of 12 small books of the Bible which are called or referred to as the minor prophets in the Old Testament. Now, Jonah is unique in that it doesn't contain his prophecies like the others, but rather is narrative in nature. So it recounts a part of Jonah's own spiritual journey. It also reveals God's fatherly love, compassion and patience with Jonah and the Ninevites. The book of Jonah reveals what God is like today because we know that God does not change and the Bible tells us that he is not willing that any should perish but all come to repentance. At the outset, it might be worth mentioning that Jonah was a bona fide prophet. This was not just some unknown, and it is actually mentioned in the Second Kings 14, chapter 14, verse 25, where I'll just briefly summarize it. It refers to certain boundaries or borders restored in Israel in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant, Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath Hepha. Now, apparently this place does exist. Um, it's a small set of ruins on a hilltop near the Arab village of El Meshed, five kilometres north of Nazareth and one kilometre from Cana. The supposed tomb of Jonah is apparently also still pointed out by the locals, so it's probably a little bit of a tourist thing. Now, let's get the discussion underway because there's much to be learned from the book of Jonah. For the modern times that we're living in, some might say, well, what's that got to do with, you know, how is that relevant to today? Well, it is really, really relevant. And always has been. So, Ken, 
I'd like to ask you, um, with Jonah being a seasoned prophet of God, he's given a new mission, a new assignment, and what is it? And what was Jonah's response to this directive? Can you give us some light on that? Well, Joe, we start off by reading chapter 1 and verse 1 to 3 of Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarnish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarnish to flee from the Lord. So here we see Jonah, who was a seasoned prophet of God, not only refusing to do what God had asked, but also running away as far as he could in the opposite direction, so that God would not find him, or so we thought. Mm, That's true. I guess God could have sent another prophet. He could have chosen someone else, but um, God chose Jonah. Now, God knew that Jonah would do what he did, but he persisted with him because, well, I guess um, having thought about it, because I think he needed to learn more about his Lord and something about himself. And I guess this is part of all of our spiritual journeys. Now, this might seem like a very strange thing for a prophet to do, that um, you're sent on a mission and you head off in the opposite direction, the other side of the world, actually, the then-known world. Why do you think he reacted like this? And there are lots of answers. We can put a number of reasons forward, but I'm going to look at two first. We have to look at where God was sending him. At that time of Jonah, Nineveh was one of the oldest cities of the Assyrians and often served as its capital. It was a massive city and the most glorious of its day, sitting on 1,640 acres. However, being so big with so many people in it, it was also very sinful and the people were very cruel, even by the standards of the world at that time. And this was well known by other people in the outer areas. Also out of interest, this city sat beside the Tigris River, just across from modern Mosul, which is still a very dangerous place to be. So for Jonah, who was a godly man, this would have been the last place he would have wanted to come to, probably fearing for his life. And secondly, as we have heard, being a very cruel and sinful city, Jonah himself had decided that people were not worthy of saving, believing God's grace would be better spent on other people. Mm. Nick? Before even we go um, deeper into this wonderful book of Jonah, I just want to mention that uh, probably it's one of the best known story in the Bible, where even children, you know, they they are excited to learn about uh, Jonah, how he spent three days and three nights in the belly of a big fish and so on and so forth. But what I would like to mention is that when you look at this story and the book of Jonah, you need to take in consideration few things to be able to really understand and grasp the deep depthness of this wonderful book. Because when we study some passages in the Bible, we need to ask a few things like, what's the location? What's the context? When this happened? Why this story is being told in the Bible? It's not just to be, it's an exciting story that children love to hear, but is to tell 
something very relevant, an object lesson for us all, not only for the children or for the adults, for us all as children of God. And I believe there are, we are going to look into few wonderful things today to learn and apply in our life for our spiritual journey. Um, just a couple of things, Joe, that are rather interesting about this. Um, Amadai, um, Jonah's father, his name means son of faithfulness. Now, this is rather interesting because we start our story with Jonah, with him being anything other than faithful. He's going in the exact opposite direction to what God told him to do. Number two, um, Ken has touched on it fairly well, but I think Jonah 4 verse 2 is a verse that we will get to, but I'm going to read it. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Our Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in the country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. I sense that there's more to the story than meets the simple narrative that we find in the Bible. I believe he's presupposing that if he goes to Nineveh and preaches and God relents, his reputation as a prophet is going to be ruined. He's more concerned about his reputation as a prophet than he is about God's salvation for the whole human race. Now, Tarshish, some suggest, is beyond the pillars of Hercules. In other words, the Straits of Gibraltar on the Spanish coast. So he's going in the opposite direction to what God sent him. And I just wonder how in our study, a restless prophet, how this man could have peace until he carried out what God asked him to do. So as we get further into the study, Joe, I reckon this is going to be really, really interesting to try and unpack and find out how Jonah could receive peace in in the mission that he'd been given. Oh, well, thank you very much for those really good answers. I think we need to move on. Something happens. We've heard that he boards this ship and he's heading off to Tarshish and then something unpredictable happens, Lydia. Could you tell us what that might be? I would like to touch first something else before that. Archaeological records show us the cruelty of the Neo-Assyrians who dominated the ancient Near East during the 8th century and uh, the time that Jonah ministered in Israel. In the time of King Hezekiah, apparently had uh, joined a local anti-Assyrian coalition, and it tells us that this Sennacherib's place in Nineveh fell on the cruel story uh, about the fall of Lachish. So we can observe that these Assyrians could be incredibly cruel, and uh, God sent Jonah in this time in Nineveh. And uh, Jonah was afraid on the fact that he would be rejected, he would be uh, ridiculed, and uh, he wouldn't be listened. We have to remember that Jonah was sent before that as a prophet, which we can read in Second Kings 14.25, in the time of Jeroboam, king of Israel in Samaria. And at that time, he delivered his message to the king. So that first mission was accomplished. But now in the second mission, Jonah was a bit reluctant. Now Jonah ran away and he ran away in the opposite direction. 
Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up, and all the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Okay, so there's a huge storm, and everyone is terrified. Where was Jonah at this time, Brenton? Well, he was actually sleeping in the bottom of the boat. Um, <laughs> I, I struggle, Joe, with the concept of how a person can sleep when they've got a guilty conscience. Most people who have a guilty conscience can't sleep. But this, this is where he was, and there's an uncanny similarity between this and a story we all know in the book of Mark where Christ was asleep in a storm. And what happens in this story is that God displays his power to these heathen sailors, just as God displayed his power on the Sea of Galilee uh, through Christ uh, when he stilled the storm. So there's a lot of similarities uh, to come up there, Joe, but summarising it very briefly, he was in in the bottom of the boat, as far down as you could go in the boat, asleep before the captain actually found him and said, get up, what do you think you're doing? We're about to perish. Pray to your God so that uh, we don't perish. Now, that parallels very nicely the disciples waking Christ up and said, Master, don't you care that we're perishing? A lot of similarities there, Joe. So do you think he was really at, at peace? What do you, What does the panel think? Can we ever be at peace when we're running away from God? Uh, Ken, you had your hand up. Uh, I th- I think perhaps actually he was asleep. I think perhaps maybe he it was sh- through sheer exhaustion because he'd been running and uh, I'm sure these things were on his mind and I think perhaps he was just totally fatigued. Yeah, quite possibly. Any other thoughts, Nick? Yes, I'd like to look a little bit from a different point of view here. Yeah, I believe he he was sleeping. What the Bible says, he was resting. He was sleeping. I'd like you to keep in mind. We are coming to that passage a little bit later, just in the next few uh, moments. Jonah was still a faithful servant of God, even though he ran away and we discussed a little bit some of the motives. But he was a very powerful witness, even in that boat with those people. And we are going to come to, to, to talk a little bit about that, how he represented God in front of other people. I want to say here that many times we going the opposite direction and God still, if we are faithful to him in a way like a, a genuine child of God, a believer, he can do great things with us. To those people in the boat, they witness the power of the almighty God and they even ask how could they do uh, such a thing when he said to them, throw me into the water. But we'll come to that in the in the next moment, I believe. Yes, that's a very good point you make there, Nick. He might have been at peace, but when we run away from God, there can be no peace. You know, when we run away from God, we're not running to a place of safety, but into danger. And uh, God is a refuge for us, a sanctuary and a place of rest and safety, leaving God's presence exposes us to the enemy. And that's something that we forget very easily. Having said that, we often act as though God were the enemy and find ourselves uh, running like Jonah in the opposite direction. We think that there is freedom apart from God and nothing could be further from the truth. There is no place of greater safety. Without going into too much narrative, lots have been cast, as you've mentioned, Nick, and it is found that 
he was responsible for the storm threatening the ship and all its occupants. And he's ultimately thrown overboard at his own suggestion and he finds himself in the sea and going down, going under. When Jonah went overboard, he would have probably thought that this was the end. I mean, I don't think he foresaw that he would be rescued from this plight. He didn't even, he didn't know that um, he couldn't have imagined it. So, Will, could you tell us what happens next? Jonah 1 verse 17 says, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And we find, according to the Bible account, that inside the fish, Jonah starts praying. You know, we can only imagine what might have been his desperation, caught up in the hot, stifling, smelly insides of a whale. Let me say that uh, he wouldn't have been walking around or crawling around in a chamber in there. He would have been held by the slimy stomach contracting around him. I don't know. It must Mm. have been terrible. But in desperation, he prays. And I know we will address the words of his prayer later. Yes. Well, because of the brevity of the account, we're tempted to think that Jonah went overboard and whoosh, you know, the fish came out of nowhere, scooped him up into safety. If we look at Jonah's prayer, which we will now, it suggests that he wasn't saved by the fish immediately. And there's clues in his prayer, which we could discuss all of us as a panel. What can we learn from this pouring out of his heart to God? Um, We know he prays ever so sincerely and repents. Any thoughts, any insights into the prayer? Lynn, you've got your hand up. All right. Well, I'd like to um, backtrack a little bit. You know, we still have this expression, there's a Jonah in the camp when something goes wrong with the group. So Jonah has been remembered right down through history. But I'd like to point out a lesson that struck me here. When the storm was getting more and more violent and they'd cast the lots to see who was the problem and the lot fell on Jonah and then the sea continued to get rougher and rougher and they asked Jonah, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? And Jonah said a most unusual thing. He said, well, pick me up and throw me into the sea and it'll become calm. You know, I see in this something rather remarkable. Jonah, recognising that he was the cause of the trouble, was willing to sacrifice his life in order to save the lives of others. Well, they tried to avoid that. They got the oars out in the boat because the sails were probably ripped apart and they tried to make for land, but unsuccessfully and regrettably they picked him up and tossed him into the sea. And down he went. Now, I know some of us have talked about this before. And down as he was sinking, this fish that the Lord had prepared. Now, we don't know what sort of fish it was. It must have been of whale proportions. And that's why many people say it was a whale, but it may not have been. And uh, Jonah's going down, thinking to himself, this is it, probably holding his breath. And suddenly this fish grabs him. And he's saved. And this reminds me of a statement that I've read and heard, that God has a thousand ways when we think there might only be one. And here we see this miracle that God has provided to spare this man. Meanwhile, the, the, the raging sea had stopped. It, was, it had become calm. 
So in my mind's eye, I see a calm sea now. This fish comes and takes him. And Jonah, surprised to be saved, prays. And he says, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. Now, I realize that some people call to the Lord and they don't get what they regard as a a suitable answer. But in this case, God answered him. And then he goes on to say, from deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. I believe God hears all our prayers. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. So here's a change. He thought, this is it. This is curtains for me. And then he realized that he had been saved. He goes on to say, verse 5, The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. The seaweed wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. In other words, down deep. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, my Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love to them, but I, with shouts of great, uh, grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. This was a big turning point in Jonah's life. He was running away, but now he acknowledged God. I'd just like to say this. I know a man who was a drug addict. And you know, he turned to the Lord and like Jonah, he could say, he brought my life up from the pit. He's a beautiful Christian now. And I think this uh, is an example of some experiences that people who've gone down, 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 when they've embraced the Lord and accepted his love, their life comes up from the pit. They have beautiful lives then like this man I know. Thank you for that. Look, there are a number of interesting pointers here that um, need to be brought out, I think. Number one, at the end of chapter one, when Jonah is thrown overboard, I'm I'm, uh, digressing a little bit, but when he was thrown overboard, it says that the sailors offered sacrifices and made vows. Now, remember, these sailors are probably Phoenician in origin because it was the Phoenicians who generally travelled around that particular part of the then-known world, these men are heathens. They have just seen a miracle. They have seen a man that they have thrown overboard. All of a sudden, the storm has stopped. Now, this miracle is every bit as potent as the miracle Christ performed on the Sea of Galilee when he calmed the storm. So God is revealing himself that he is the God of nature. Everything is under his control to these complete strangers who have now made vows. Now, what the vows were, I don't know, but Len has just read that Jonah made vows while he was in the belly of the fish. And uh, there are so many different connections here. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. I, I read this in a positive light. I read this prayer of Jonah's inside the fish as though he's expecting to be rescued. He's expecting God to come to his aid. 
There are a number of uh, suggestions of that in this particular prayer. Now, he talks about uh, from deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. We contrast that with Christ on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, There are certain similarities, I believe, between Jonah and Christ. And here we find that God is looking after Jonah. He's allowed a fish to swallow him. And as we'll find out in a minute, we will find out what happens as a result of that. God is looking after the sailors. He has stilled the storm. They have made vows to him. God is revealing himself. He's revealing himself firstly to his prophet, but secondarily to these men. So I see uh, God's graciousness and God's goodness being displayed here before Jonah ever gets to Nineveh. He's already started on the process of revealing himself to these men who are sailors. That's true. And there are some similarities, but there are also contrasts. Sure, um, sure. To the story, um, which are quite obvious. You know, Jesus was not the disobedient prophet who ran away. Nick, you had something to say. I want to clarify a couple of things because we jump quickly through the uh, Jonas experience uh, when he was overthrown and then his prayer and so on and so forth. But I just want to pick up back uh, to verse 12, where it says, Jonah said to the sailors, pick me up and throw me into the sea. And just look at this. Even though they were maybe not believers, Phoenicians, whatever, they didn't do that. They were still working hard to sail, to get to the land. They didn't throw Jonah over the board. Because you can read this in verse uh, 13. They, they row hard to return to the land, but they couldn't because the sea was very wild. And therefore they cry out to the Lord and said, Oh, we pray, Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life and do not charge us with innocent blood. I think this is amazing passage here because these people Learn from Jonah a little bit earlier. If you go back in uh, verse 9, when these people ask who he is, who are his people, Jonah said something amazing here. He said, I'm a Hebrew. He straight away revealed who he is. And God wants through the Hebrew nation to reach out to all the people around. They were God's people. He said, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the earth. Jonah is giving a testimony right there to these people, revealing who God is. That's what I was saying a bit earlier, that God can do his plan of salvation, even when we are in our, not to, I wouldn't use the word disobedience, because that, that's not what I'm thinking. But sometimes we're going in different direction, because of our own understanding of things. If we are children of God, God can still use us mightily. And this is what God did to this uh, uh, prophet of his. That's why God, we'll see later on, was reasoning with this prophet when he was upset of the things, which we'll learn in a minute. All right. Is there a lesson here for us today, no matter whether we're Christian or not. From the experience of Jonah being thrown overboard, him being, uh, you know, his prayer to God, are there any lessons? Are there any lessons here that are contemporary to us? 
Lynn? I believe that from this experience in how God treated Jonah, I think Jonah very much applies to every individual because many of us have tried to run away from the Lord. But, you know, God can use the most strange circumstances to get through to us, just as he did here. He brought on the storm. He provided the fish. And uh, I've had some experiences too where I couldn't understand how God used that situation to bring me to acknowledge him in a greater way. So not all bad experiences are bad. They might be bad in themselves, but there could be a lot of good that comes out of bad experiences. Ken, you had something you wanted to share. Yes, I think there's a couple of important points from this. One is, no matter where you are, God can always hear you. And secondly, every time we read stories in the Bible, time after time we see that God uses the very least of the least of people to achieve great things. So you don't have to be a wonderful, fantastic, knowledgeable person. You just have to have an open heart. Joe, I think uh, the situation with Jonah is an interesting one because what can we apply to ourselves in 2021? I believe this. I believe when God calls you, even if you are unresponsive or disobedient, if God has a plan for you or he has something that he wants you to do, he will keep reinforcing that point. Now, it's interesting. He saves Jonah from the belly of the fish And he then says to him, I want you to go to Nineveh and give the message that I will give you. I see the fact that he's now being called twice to give this message that God is trying to impress upon Jonah and saying, wake up, my friend. I have a very important message to give to these people, and I have chosen you as the person to give it. I believe that the application we can make today is that when God calls us to do something, Even if we uh, digress or we try and get out of it, he will keep coming back and uh, saying, I want you to do this. Now, please go ahead and do it. Now, if he's calling you to do it, he will also give you the power and the responsibility. He will give you the necessary tools to be able to give the message in the way that he wants you to give it. And we're going to get to that a little bit um, in a minute. Jonah was a prophet of God, called by God, and he admitted that. But he ran away from the the message of God. And sometimes we are in the same position. And he was brought in the belly of the fish that God provided to be saved. And uh, this was God's intervention. And in that circumstance, he realized that to call up to God and he reached out to God in his prayer, and uh, it says in the Bible that he reached to the holy temple, the sanctuary, the the heavenly sanctuary of God, and um, his prayer was uh, answered, and he was saved. And sometimes also we have to be brought to the place where we don't have anything that this world offers to learn on in order to realize that Jesus is who we really need. So Jonah realized that he cannot run away from God. He needs 
Jesus exactly as much as the Ninevites needed him. And I believe uh, here it's a very good point. Uh, and I'm saying to anyone who's listening today, if you feel like that you are troubled and you may uh, be confused of the things going on in your life, maybe spiritually, just remember God has a plan for you and he will fulfill that plan with you if you are uh, obedient. I think you touch on a very good point, Nick. Um, I personally find this a very encouraging story in this, you know, in this section in that sense that, um, you know, sometimes we find ourselves drowning, ourselves lost, drowning metaphorically in the consequences of our own choices, that even if that happens, we can pray and God does not leave us in the water. But, you know, like Jonah prayed, you know, to the roots of the mountains I sank. You know, sometimes we feel that we're right down the pit. So, you know, I can be sure that when I hit rock bottom and I remember God and I turn to him, he will hear me. And that's incredibly encouraging for, I think it should be for all of us, um, no matter whether we're Christians or not. Brenton, what happened next? What did the fish do? Well, uh, according to the Bible, Joe, God spoke to the fish. Now, those who were agnostics and skeptics and uh, biblical higher criticism people would really struggle with this. But why could God not speak to a fish? We have an example in the Bible, Joe and panel, that we all know well, where actually a donkey spoke to Balaam. So uh, I do not have a problem with the fact that God could speak to a fish. And um, the fish vomited Jonah up onto dry land. Now, it's interesting that as um, we have discussed so far, this probably happened close to the coast, but he still would have had a very, very significant distance to travel to go to Nineveh. Now, he's just been vomited out of the mouth of a fish. He doesn't have any money. He can't go to the local ATM and withdraw anything. Uh, how is he going to survive as far as eating? drinking, and all the rest of it during his journey to Nineveh. Can I suggest to you that this is part of the, the story or the narrative that really isn't filled in very well, but I would like to compare it with an example that we know just to give you some idea. We all know the story of Elijah. Elijah ran away after Jezebel threatened to kill him. He had a message to give too, and he was running away. Now, the, an angel came along. And on two occasions supplied food and drink for Elijah. Now on the second occasion, it says in the strength of that food and drink, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights to the mountain of God. I would like to suggest today in our, our discussion time that God miraculously looked after Jonah. He's called him twice now to give this message. He's delivered him miraculously from the mouth of the fish. I don't think it's too much of a stretch of the imagination to believe that God would have miraculously looked after him to get him to Nineveh and adequately clothe, feed and water him. Absolutely. You make some really good points there. Now, he eventually gets to the city. And uh, Lydia, can you please lead us through the next few verses? What, what actually happens? What is his message? Yes, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord this time and went to Nineveh. And now Nineveh was a very important city. It was a great city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city and he proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. 
So he delivered God's message to the Ninevites. He certainly did. Um, and Brenton, how was this message received by the people? Very interesting point, um, Joe. Let me read it to you. Um, it says, when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. And then he issued a proclamation, uh, which uh, is mentioned here. Do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. Let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger. There's a point here, Joe, that's pretty important. The Reformation didn't start with the king. The Reformation started with the people. If you read that particular chapter in Jonah, you will see that the people began the process of Reformation and it reached the ears of the king. And then he and his nobles put out this proclamation. I believe today that reclamation or um, renovation or um, renewal starts with us. It doesn't start with the church leaders. It starts with us. And um, here the people are taking it upon themselves to hear Jonah's message. The Holy Spirit, I believe, is powerfully working upon them so that they accept it. But they have already started the process of repenting of their sins before the message reached as the king. And um, Jonah is the greatest prophet in the Old Testament. He was the, the chief evangelist in the Old Testament, and yet he's the most reluctant prophet that uh, we know of. Yes, it's interesting that uh, the Ninevites would have taken, you know, just grasped this message and embraced it when yes. God had sent many messages to Israel. Yes. <laughs> and they were a hardened lot. They were Nick. Yes, um, uh, Joe, uh, I think you touch on a very important point because I like to transpond this one uh, in our time. We are all messengers of the living God today. Too many times we have prejudgmental thoughts and attitude towards the people surrounding us, thinking, oh, they are not interested, oh, they are too wicked, oh, they don't want to hear anything about the living God, and so on and so forth, instead of just represented God. Even if you think that nothing will happen, you should just believe that God knows better what will happen if you do your uh, part. Lynn? I have wondered why the people actually took notice of Jonah. Good thought. I have a, a, a non-biblical explanation for this. Jonah was in the belly of the fish. And I've read about people who've actually been swallowed by whales and that whale has later been caught and opened up and somebody had been inside who survived it. it there's only been a few people have ever survived this experience and the digestive juices have taken all the colour out of their skin. And possibly when Jonah was vomited up on the near the beach, uh, he might have looked rather strange if this, this happened. Now, I don't know if this was the case, but there may have been witnesses when this huge fish was swimming towards the beach and uh, people saw it and then they saw something strange that the fish vomited out a man. The message may have reached Nineveh 
about this strange experience that people had witnessed, and therefore they listened to him because they realized this was he was a result of something very supernatural that happened. And I think these people were they believed in the supernatural, but but not the way we would. So this is possibly why they took notice and so many of them, all of them in fact, repented and Jonah's message was accepted. Yeah, I, I would like to actually to accept what Len uh, said, but I have a different, um, I believe differently. I believe that Jonah was listened, what the Bible says that Jonah proclaimed a message from God in regard to their wickedness and offer repentance from God. I believe that's what cut in the heart of these people because they knew who they were. They knew the state of their living. And I believe when Jonah boldly said 40 days and this will be destroyed, I believe they were not turning to God because how Jonah looked and how Jonah, how humble he was or how great he was, but the message of God cut into their hearts because this is a lesson for me. Don't look at yourself. Don't look at the capacity you have. Don't look of the what you are lacking even. Represent God and his message and that will deliver the people. That's a good point too, Nick. Although I can see what Lynn's saying in the sense that they were very superstitious and this would have, you know, this would have had some bearing on whether they accepted the message or not. Whereas Israel had so many miracles and still it wasn't enough. <laughs> it just shows about, tells us about the hardness of um, God's people's hearts sometimes. Now we have this major reformation and repentance and a turnaround from the people of Nineveh. And what does Jonah think? How does he feel about this? Ken, perhaps you could shed some light on this. Was he happy? Well, I think this is quite an amazing passage because rather than be happy for the repentance of the people in Nineveh, Jonah was actually angry that God had forgiven them and was not going to destroy the city. So here we see in chapter 4 and verse 1 to 3, but to Jonah this seemed very wrong and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I try to forestall by flame to tarnish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. So Jonah is so devastated, outraged by God's compassion, that he would rather die than see the Ninevites saved. A curious thing for a prophet of God to say now, God could have nuked him there and then and given him what he asked for, but all God asked of him one question to reflect on, is it right for you to be angry? That is a, a very good question and a very thought-provoking question. Will, one would think that a preacher or a Christian would be happy if he or she is successful and the people are giving their lives to God as a result of their ministry, repenting, and there's a revival why do you think Jonah felt this way? Now, I guess we've touched on some of these things earlier on, but perhaps if you could give us more insight. Jonah might have realized that uh, if uh, retribution was to be averted, some people would look upon him as a uh, crackpot crier of doom, as we might say. 
because nothing happened like he really said. Second Peter 3 verse uh, 3 and 4 sketches what quickly takes hold of people's hearts if they don't see a fulfillment of what was promised. It says, most importantly, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffers and following their own evil desires. Where is the promise of his coming, they will ask. Ever since our fathers fell asleep, everything continues as it has from the beginning. Um, Ecclesiastes 8 verse 11 has something interesting to say about man's presumption to continue in transgression despite warning. It says, um, because the sentence against an evil act is not executed quickly, the hearts of the sons of men are fully set to do evil. In short, Joe, they got peace instead of pain, and he saw this. And then they become bold again, I'm sure, in living the way they did before. The Bible doesn't give us a timeline, but after all, 40 days were given to them to repent. And on day, say, 42, after they were spared, might Jonah have witnessed some violence again in the city that was renowned for its uh, violence and thought, when are these people going to make a permanent change? We all know that the very first weekend after a cataclysmic event, uh, an earthquake, a hurricane, or a natural disaster, churches are full. But a month later, most people go back to living as the way they did before. Pseudo-conversions then abound. I wonder if he thought that maybe he's going to be considered a false prophet because nothing happened like uh, he prophesied. That's quite likely, Will, that um, that was one of the things that would have influenced how he felt. Perhaps I'd like to refer to the story of the prodigal son in that there are some similarities, I feel, in the way the elder brother felt about his younger brother coming back, you know, and we have, you know, this is much more, this story is much more than Jews and Gentiles, you know, Christians and heathen, whatever. This is about we're all children of God in a, you know, we are his children. Now some recognise their father and some don't. But in the, in the story of the prodigal son, we will remember that, you know, there was the elder brother who wasn't happy about the prodigal returning home. And so, Perhaps um, sometimes this is why we struggle with these things. So I'd like to pose a question. How easy or difficult is it for a follower of God to feel resentful or even angry when people who we deem not worthy or have offended us or hurt us, and sometimes very deeply, are shown mercy and forgiveness by God? And like sometimes who prompts this sentiment? Does anyone have any thoughts on that? I would like to say here that um, Jonah showed his true character here, which was not a good character. He thought more of his reputation than of God's honor and his love for the people of Nineveh. So um, in this lesson's week, we discovered that uh, this is the wonderful truth. Jonah needed the gospel as much as the people of Nineveh did, and so do we. So God loved the Ninevites and wanted them in his kingdom. But God also called Jonah because God loved Jonah also. He wanted Jonah to grow and become more like him as they worked together. God wanted Jonah to find the true rest that comes only by being in a saving relationship with him and by doing God's will, which includes reaching out to others and pointing them to the faith and hope that we have. Mm, very good. Lynn? Well, when you read through the book of Jonah, 
you'll see that Jonah wished to die three times. And uh, here he was sitting outside the city waiting for the fireworks and nothing happened and he questioned God. In fact, he got really mad about it, although he used fairly uh, civil uh, terminology in his prayer. But um, he didn't realise that he was sent to Nineveh not to say that it was just going to be destroyed, but he was sent to Nineveh to save the people. Jonah had a lesson to learn about God. We read in Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse 11, and the same thing is in Ezekiel 18 verse 23. God is saying something about himself, and this is it. And this I want you listeners to take notice of. As surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die? And here is an expression of God's love. He doesn't want anybody to die. Somebody quoted earlier from John 3.16 that God wants everybody to have eternal life. But of course, some people don't take him seriously and others don't really care. But the lesson I think of this whole chapter is turn from your evil ways. Why will you die so needlessly when I'm prepared to give you eternal life? I just want to to mention here because you ask a question uh, there, uh, Joe, and that put us in the picture. How are we responding? Because we are all called to be missionaries to be uh, messengers, to share the good news with people. When somebody will receive the message, which I proclaim, and come into faith or to follow God, if that person was a perpetrator, maybe abusing my own child, or maybe doing some whatever bad things to me, do you reckon that will be easy for me to accept the return of those people to God? It's maybe, very hard. maybe that was in Jonah's mind because the Israelites, they knew quite a bit about these people. They did a lot of harm and a lot of caused a lot of pain to Israel. Absolutely. And this is the lesson we probably we need to learn. We need to learn that we are all sinners and in great need of God's mercy for us all. Now, it's hard. It's not easy. But God can change our heart. We need to be together with those people who harmed us a lot and did a lots of bad things to us. If we are genuine people, and Lydia mentioned that Jonah's character was shown when he was upset that these people uh, returned to God. Now we have also in the Bible the story when also the disciples of Jesus, they have different and bad character, that doesn't mean that they were not worthy of walking with Jesus because Jesus knew their heart and they become great, great disciples of Jesus. Just to, to remember John and James, I think was they asked to come fire down from heaven to burn those people because they didn't receive Jesus. I think this example of Jonah and the Ninevites Returning to God, it's a very good lesson for us to apply in our life. We need to love people and accept people and not to look at ourselves 
and live in the past. Yes, uh, thank you for that, Nick. I guess now we need to draw it to a conclusion and we've had this, you know, we've, he's out there, he's watching, waiting for the uh, the inferno to begin and it doesn't happen. He is very, very upset to the point of death and God speaks to him and he, um, apart from that, we know the story of the uh, the vine that came up overnight and died overnight and Jonah was very upset about that and God remonstrates with him and he says, you know, you're concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. I, it sprang up overnight, died overnight. And should I not have concern for that great city of Nineveh in, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals? God tries to reason with Jonah and in effect justify his own compassion, and he unveils Jonah's bigotry. Now, Jonah wasn't a bad person. He was on a journey like we all are. The Bible narrative ends there. We don't know if Jonah had a change of heart. I would like to think he did, and I'm sure he did. Um, How did he get home? A long walk perhaps with plenty of time to reflect. Did the restless prophet find peace? I believe he had learned much, and it is recorded for us to also reflect on. It is important to remember that truth, true peace can only come from one source. We can't manufacture it. We may run from God to find it and get into all sorts of bother. We may even try and fake it, but the only genuine source is God. There are two ways to elude or run away from God, and that is by rebelling and doing things contrary to God's will or by being very good in our own eyes and trusting in our own righteousness. Like the elder brother, we might feel that we have been faithful and worked hard at being good and begrudge grace and forgiveness freely offered to those we deem unworthy, like the Ninevites, for instance. Living in this state, we will not be able to find true peace and rest that Jesus offers. Jonah, like us, was on a spiritual journey and like all of us had attitudes that he needed to unlearn. God shows gentle compassion to Jonah as he guides him to a path of rest. May we too experience and allow God to give us the gift of compassion and love, which will change how we view God and how we see other people. And if we fail from time to time or even fail miserably, we can know that there is hope and compassion for us as there was for Jonah. May we all continue to be guided by his loving kindness. Lydia, would you like to close this discussion with a prayer? Yes, thank you. Glorious Father in heaven, we are coming here before you to thank you so much that you bring us back into the Bible history, especially today in the story of your chosen prophet, Jonah. Father, if I am a reluctant, a runaway missionary, worrying that I may not be qualified to accomplish your work or afraid of saying something wrong or being rejected or ridiculed of others. Please, Father, remember us. Remember me to go in faith and trust that you are the one to achieve the mission through me and through us, your chosen instrument, chosen by you, 
help us to realize, Father, that you are in control of everything. Help us, help me to step in faith that you are the one to accomplish your mission. Please, Father, keep ourselves in your love to be merciful to others and save them by snatching them out from the fire, from the darkness in which they live. Thank you so much for your true love. Please keep us in your love to reach out to others by pointing them to the faith and hope that we always have in you. For your holy name, honor, and glory, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, everyone, for uh, your participation today. I think this was a very special uh, um, character, uh, you know, Jonah, uh, to learn from, from Jonah. You know, uh, we are approaching uh, for a number of weeks uh, this topic of rest in Christ. And today we dealt with the restless prophet, the one who ran away from God. And then I was given him the um, opportunity to rest in the belly of that fish for three days and three nights to come to his senses. And his, the mission of God was accomplished, even though he was angry, this prophet, because of the outcome. But there is always two ways. And God reasons with us. We are inviting you to come with us for the last Bible study of this series. And that's the ultimate rest. I believe you're already grasping what we are talking about. That will be to have rest in our Lord Jesus Christ. Until then, may God richly bless you and keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus.